Hey, good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you. Hey, I just wanted to point out, I know, um, this is an odd thing to say, I recognize a lot of new faces. <laughs> is that weird to say? I've noticed a lot of new people in our, uh, have been hanging out with us and joining us for Sunday services and getting involved in a lot of things that our community offers during the week. And I just wanted to highlight that that Discover Mosaic class is not just an opportunity to learn more about our church. It certainly is that that's happening in two weeks, but it's also a chance to, uh, and a prerequisite to becoming a member. So as you've been feeling things out and getting connected, if you're feeling yourself connecting to who we are and our purpose and our mission and our vision, uh, you can learn a little bit more about it at that class, and you can also become a member and find out what that means as well. So I would encourage you, I know I've talked with you, uh, several of you over the last couple months, but hey, how do I become a member um, is the way I can uh, take some steps to commit more to the church. This is it. Take this class, learn more about the church, um, and it's an opportunity to become a member as well. So I've been thinking a lot about team. And if you've been here the last few weeks, sans last week when it snowed us out, you know that we're in the middle of a series where we're talking about team. And I've had some conversations with people in the neighborhood um, one of them with a friend of mine who asked the question, who's on your team? As he was thinking about someone that he knew, that he cared about, who seemed stuck in his life. So we've been talking about team, the difference it can make in our lives. And it got me thinking this week about some of the greatest all-time teams. Not sports, necessarily. But I started thinking about what are the greatest teams we've ever seen in movies? So I went to IMDb, check there, because they're the authority on all things movies, right? And uh, they had a top 10 list of teams from movies. So I want to show you a few pictures, just for fun today, and see if you can recognize any of these teams. So when you see the picture come up, just shout out, who is this? All right, that was easy. That's X-Men. They uh, came in at number 10 on the list. Number nine, please. Wait, wait, that's not number nine. They got shuffled. Okay. All right. Who is this? Fellowship Where do you think they came in in the top 10? Oh, number one. I hate to break your heart. Came in at number three. Oh, wow. So how you want to start a sermon, get everyone moaning. All right. Let's see. The next. This is actually, I like it this way better. Let's see who's next. Oh, who's this? Well, how could you tell? <laughs> actually, I have to be honest. I never heard of this movie. So, what? Oh, someone just goes, wow. It's a good movie. So, I, I looked up uh, the, the plot a little bit. You can tell it's definitely from the 70s just by the drawings of the hairstyles. But I'm going to go back and I want to watch this movie now. All right, how about the next one? <laughs> Anyone know who this is? Anch- well, yeah, it's Anchorman is the movie, but wh- what's the team? I heard it. Someone said the Channel 4 News team. Okay. Where did these guys come in on the top ten list? Just guess. Let me hear it. Nine, what else? Two. Two? Wow, big fan over there. Seven? They came in four. So Fellowship of the Ring barely edged out Ron Burgundy. Okay, let's see the next one. Oh, who are these guys? Predator. Who are they, though? All right, the commandos in Predator. I don't have to get that picky, right? 
Um, these guys came in at number seven. Let's see the next one here. Ooh, who's this? Seven Samurai. Good call. Number eight on the list. Who's next? Kill Bill, right. Does anyone know what the team is called? The Deadly Viper Assassination Squad from Kill Bill came in at number two on the all-time list of teams. All right, who's next? All right, who's this? Tombstone, right. This is the Earps and Doc Holliday from Tombstone. I'm your Huckleberry number five. What's next? Firefly. You guys know this one. I thought this one was a little more obscure. This is uh, Mal Serenity Crew. Uh, Firefly was, was that the name of the TV show or the movie? Help me out. TV show. The movie was named Serenity, right? All right, so there you go. This is the Serenity Crew. Uh, it's a TV show worth watching on Netflix, in my opinion. What's next? Aliens. Aliens. So this is, these are the Space Marines from Aliens. Nice to see a woman get some play here finally, um, and she's the leader of that crew, and that was the number one team listed. Who do we have left? That's it? Oh, so number one, finishing number one. All right, who did we miss? Who are some of your favorite movie teams that didn't make it? The Fantastic Four? Who else? Wait, what? say it louder. The Enterprise crew, okay. The Goonies. That's on my personal top ten. Who else? Space Jam. Space Jam. <laughs> Michael and Bugs didn't make the list. Who else? Order of the Phoenix. So the Harry Potter crew. Okay. Anybody else? The Hobbit crew. All the dwarves. They were kind of messed up. That's right. Most of them lived. A lot of these teams, people died. So who else? The Jedi, all right, so the Rebel Alliance and Star Wars. How about, here's a, some of my favorites that didn't make it. The Dirty Dozen, anyone seen that film? Ghostbusters, come on. I know, I'm dating myself. And how about TMNT, right? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, okay. Maybe not, but they were a team. My point being, all the teams that we've named, right, all of them, for some of us, we'll never forget them. Uh, they will live on forever in film and in our hearts, right? And in some sense, they've become eternal, if you will, to stretch the metaphor a bit to us for their camaraderie, their sacrifice, their courage, their pithy one-liners. But what if, actually, we could be part of a team that, like these teams in their realm, which is film, has an enduring impact? A team in your life that could actually make a difference that would last. And what if that difference could actually last longer than the difference that any of these teams have made on our lives as they've inspired us or given us a good laugh or encouraged us? What if you could be on a team that actually, and not figuratively, not in some big ooby dooby way, but in a real way, could have an impact that lasted beyond your life and even into eternity? The reason I'm bringing this up, and I realize that's a tall order for any person, for any team, and it seems like such a big idea that it wouldn't really actually be possible, or that, oh, that might be a nice thing to believe, but it's probably not really true. What if, and this is what we're going to see, Jesus actually taught that literally 
the teams that you're a part of in your life can have an impact that lasts way beyond you, that actually have an eternal lasting impact, and not in some figurative way, but as we'll see today, in an actual, practical, tangible way. That's what we're going to look at today in this series where we're looking at teams. So two weeks ago, before the snow, we looked at the benefits that team could have in your life. This week, we're going to talk about building teams, how we can build them, and actually what it will take from you. So what's the give and the give and take from you to have a team that will not only benefit you in this life, but have an eternal impact on the people around you way beyond your own life and into eternity. And to do that, we're going to look at a really interesting story that Jesus tells that if you haven't heard it before, you're probably going to think there's no way Jesus tells this story, but he does. Let's look at Luke chapter 16, the first 13 verses. And I'll read it to you. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called each of his master's debtors. And he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. And the manager told him, take your bill, sit down and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill, make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So, this is a surprising little story, isn't it? The, I don't know if hero is the right word, but the main figure in the story that Jesus tells is a very devious sort of dude, isn't he? First of all, he's doing a bad job. He's wasting his employer's money. Second, you can kind of sort of think this guy's probably lazy, maybe. Uh, he's about to get fired, and to cover his own rear end, he goes behind his boss's back and reduces the bills of all of his boss's debtors so that he has a place to go when his job's over. He's specifically described as dishonest. And at the same time, he's commended, and Jesus is very clear that we should learn from him. Now, what do we make of this? 
Now, I will say, I've read a lot of scholars, and some of them are so uncomfortable with this passage and the story that Jesus tells that they kind of try and explain some things away. So I read one that was like, well, this is probably, he's just taking his commission and giving it to people. He's not really stealing from the guy. Or another one was like, oh, that's probably giving them back their interest instead of like actually, but I don't think that's happening. What kind of lame story would that be? Why would you even tell that story if you're Jesus? (laughs) Right? I mean, where's the zing? Jesus wants people to be like, what? Holy man, prophet, son of God, whatever you think of Jesus, you probably don't want or expect him to be praising someone who's a liar, dishonest. So I think, and if you read this story, the fact that he's described as dishonest makes me think he was stealing. He was taking what wasn't his and giving it away. And you'll notice, though, I will say this, he's not commended for being dishonest. And later on, Jesus says very clearly, hey, if you're dishonest with something that's not yours, who's going to give you your own stuff? So he makes the point that he's not praising him for stealing, but he does call him shrewd. And he does commend what he does with his worldly wealth. And I think that what makes this guy shrewd is he takes his worldly wealth, his money, or someone else's money, and he invests it in the people around him. And that's, I think, what Jesus is calling shrewd. What he's doing is he's building his team. He's about to be on the street. Like he says, he's not strong enough to dig. He's too proud to beg. So he builds a team around him. He builds good favor. He does favors for people so that he has people who will take care of him, who will support him. He's building a team. And I think this is what Jesus credits the manager for doing, for taking his worldly wealth and investing it in the people around him. And even more... Jesus seems to indicate that if we invest our worldly wealth and the people around us in an honest way, I think, we'll be trusted with something even better, which he calls true riches. So today we're going to look at this. How do we use money? How do we use our worldly wealth to build a team? And how do we use that to invest in experiencing what Jesus calls true riches? whatever that is, and we'll talk about those things. So how do we use worldly wealth to build our team and experience true riches? And the first is this. We'll talk about what true riches are, but first I want to say it's clearly, I think, in this passage that Jesus is encouraging people to invest in true riches. So he says in verse 11, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And what are true riches? I think from reading this story, we can see that true riches are relational. They're relationships. We're encouraged to use worldly wealth to make friends. And then true riches are given to us by other people. So they're gifts from friends. That's what I think true riches are. When someone trusts you and makes the decision to share with you something about who they are, something real, That's a true treasure of value. And we can buy a lot of things with wealth. We can. We can force 
a lot of things with power. We can. But we cannot buy or force the trust of another human being. That can only be shared with us by choice, without coercion, without twisting someone's arm, without applying force. And it's those things that are shared with us, those true riches, that bring to us in our lives the greatest peace, the greatest joy, and the greatest satisfaction. They connect us to someone else and at the same time affirm who we are as people because someone trusts us. Someone's given something precious to us. And those things are worth their weight in gold. They're rare. Much more rare than anything you can buy with money. A car can't do that. Not even Kit from Knight Rider. A career, boy, I'm dating myself. A career can't do that. An award can't do that. All of those things fade. And they may start in some ways great, but they all fade, they all wear out, they all tarnish. But a deepening relationship affirms us, builds us from the inside out in the deepest places of who we are. True riches aren't owned, they can only be shared. You can't buy trust with money, but you can invest your money in ways that builds trust and leads to true riches. Money isn't the only thing that you can invest, but it can be surprisingly powerful. It shows what's important to you. What's important to you? Go online and look at your bank account. Where does your money go? If you still have a checkbook and you keep track by hand, where have you been sending your money? What checks are you writing? Those are the things that are the most important to you. Who and what you care about are right there in front of you. Investing in a friend who needs some encouragement or a boost can build trust in a way that can build a team around you. It builds a team around this sort of nasty, dishonest guy who was called a shrewd manager. And it may sound crazy, but maybe, just maybe, God didn't give you your money for you. Maybe he gave it to you to invest in the people around you to help them when they need it, to be on their team. And you may be surprised at the way that sacrifice for a team, for a friend, sacrificing for things like that around you builds trust and opens people up to you to share with you true riches, who they really are. It's not the only way, but it's way more powerful than you realize. Second thing I think that can be helpful from, from this passage is to invest with an eye toward eternity. This is where Jesus gets really much bigger than what I expect, where the implications seem so lofty that it's hard to just take it in. But this is what he says in verse 9. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Huh. It sounds like Jesus is saying that relationships are eternal. That they don't end when our life ends. 
That's a big idea. And perhaps this is why we're encouraged to invest in people, to focus on true riches, because they can last forever. Well, there's a pretty big implication. I don't... If Jesus is right here, it means something that, to me, is pretty interesting. It means that heaven or eternity can be better. Now, when I think of heaven or eternity or life with God forever after this life, in my mind, I imagine that is pretty sweet, right? In fact, one of my pet peeves is a convention for movies. We were talking about movies or television shows or books where... You've probably seen a lot of movies like this or read books like this or seen TV shows where you have some character who either is an angel or they're a person who's died and has gone on to heaven or eternity. And for whatever cosmic reason, God sends them back to earth to help someone. Have you seen a movie like this? What does it seem like they always go and do? A lot of things. But to me, it seems like they always go and get a slice of pizza at some point. And they take a bite, and they're like, oh, oh, this pizza. It's so good. I have missed this so much. Have you seen movies, TV shows? And I'm always thinking, really? They don't have good pizza in heaven? You had to come back to New York City to get a slice? You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, I don't, it just bugs me. So I have a theory. I have a theory, first of all, that the pizza in heaven is really good. Okay, that's my theory. It's got to be right. Or what kind of lame, boring eternity are we talking about here? If They don't even have good pizza, for crying out loud. But I also have a theory that as good as the pizza is in heaven, this is deep, you writing this down, as good as the pizza is in heaven, it could be better. I think it's better than anything we've got here, but it could be better. In fact, I think it could be a lot better. And here's how. If, if I'm reading this story right, we can be greeted in eternal dwellings by friends. And one thing that I've learned in life, and I bet you've experienced, is that good things are better when they're shared. If you have a favorite song, it's fun when it comes on the radio. Or that shuffle on your iPad or your phone takes you to that song, right? Isn't it so much better if you're riding along with someone else who knows that song and loves it and starts singing it with you? All of a sudden, that favorite song of yours is so much better. You enjoy it so much more than if it was just you. You ever find a restaurant that you love? I've had this experience. Forgive me, people who know me a little better. And I'm not getting paid here. I love Federal Donuts. Let's just admit it. I love a lot of comfort foods that are really bad for me, including donuts and fried chicken. They're some of my top favorites. And I love to go there by myself. In fact, I've been there by myself just for donuts and fried chicken. But I've also noticed that when we have friends come in from out of town, you will find me the morning of their visit running out to Federal Donuts and getting a dozen of their fancy donuts, which are all different flavors bringing them home, so I can be like, these donuts are awesome, try them, and we're like cutting them up, we're all trying to look, oh, this is good, oh, this is my favorite, what's your favorite, blah, 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 because I enjoy the donuts more with friends. The pizza can be better. 
Heaven can be better. Eternity can be better. And you can invest in that now by investing in true riches, which don't fade or die, and are relational, that this story, I think, tells us last into eternity. That Jesus is actually saying that the friendships you build now will last. For some of you, if you've built friendships with people and they've moved away and they're in some other part of the country, that relationship is going to last into eternity. It wasn't a waste. And if you're sitting here today and you're wondering, oh, do I want to start over and build new friends? Yes, you do. Because the pizza can be better. Heaven, eternity can be better. You can invest today in something that you can experience forever. That's what Jesus, that's one of the things that he's indicating here. It's worth it. You're a student. You don't know how long you're going to be in Philadelphia. Invest now. First of all, you never know. You might be here for 10 years. You think you're coming for school and you're going to get a job somewhere else, but something's going to happen. Maybe God's going to hook you in here for a different reason, and you're going to stay. Invest now. If you move in three years, it'll be worth it. Because Jesus is saying that relationships and investing in true riches is eternal. It goes with us. And everything else kind of just fades away. It's worth it. Someone's new on your block. You don't know how long they're going to live there, but you've been on the block for 25, 35, 40, 50, 60 years. It's worth getting to know them. First of all, they probably need your help. And second of all, even if they only live there for a year, your investments are eternal. And you'll be surprised. And whatever it is you love about heaven will be a lot better the times you spend with that person in eternity. And you can invest in people in ways that will open eternity to them in new ways, and vice versa. It starts now. It's worth the investment. So, third thing, invest now. Time is short. That's one of the things we learn from this story. Jesus it says, Jesus told the disciple there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions, so he called him in. He says, what is this I hear about you? Give an account because you can't be my manager anymore. I'm firing you. This guy has access to these resources for a very limited amount of time, and then they're going to be taken from him. And if he doesn't act now, if he doesn't act fast, he'll miss his chance. So he's generous like someone who's about to be kicked out on the streets. And that's the image we have of how to do this investing, how to build these teams in our lives, how to be on someone else's team. Now's the time. Because so much of our lives we spend saying someday, down the line, finish my degree, get the job, have a little bit more money, then I'll be able to invest in the people around me. Life short, I just need a season to invest in me. I don't have anything to give. Let me just say money isn't the only thing that you can invest. That's certainly true. But it's funny how we always think it's later. They did a survey a, a few years ago, and they asked people how much money they would have to make to have the American dream. 
And those who earn 25000 or less a year thought they would need to earn about $54,000. Those who earned $100,000 in annual income said that they could buy the dream for an average of $192,000. And what these figures, I think, indicate is, is that whatever you have, you kind of think you need twice as much as you do or what you have right now. And you'll never get there if that's your attitude or your perspective about investing in the people around you when I have more. <laughs> I don't know if you'll find this funny or not, um, but I was watching a show. It was one of the last seasons of it last week or a couple weeks ago. And the people of this town were trying to pitch to this uh, um, startup that was going to give free Wi-Fi to a few cities around the country. And so they went to pitch, hey, you should, uh, you should give us free Wi-Fi in Pawnee, is the name of the town. Maybe you know the show I'm talking about. It's like, <laughs> you can go anywhere, but there's no Pawnee. You're going to invest in three cities, make one of them Pawnee. And there's this guy, he was like stereotypical millennial, poking fun at people. And he was like sitting on the edge of the couch. He had hair out to here, leaning back. And he's like, you know, we don't, uh, we don't like to say no here. It's such a negative term. But let me just say, nah, brah. <laughs> so let me just say to you, if you're waiting for that someday when you have enough money, nah, brah. <laughs> I don't come down too hard on you, but I'll give you the nah, brah. No, no, I'll just say no. Don't wait. Eternity can start now. You can invest right now. And this is your chance. Actually, what I want to do, I want to introduce some people to you. Um, I want to have all the small group leaders. Some of them are upstairs. They can't be here because they're working with our children. But if you're here and you're a small group leader, if you could just come right up here. Come on up. Don't be shy. These are small group leaders. Um, and what a small group is, it's a group of about 6 to 12 people that meet during the week, usually in people's homes, but not always. And the purpose, yeah, just stand in front, look out, smile, wave, <laughs> feel super comfortable right now, small group leaders, just totally chilling and relaxed. I'm surprised some of them didn't look at me and go, nah, brah, no. <laughs> um, and they lead groups, about 6 to 12 people. They meet all over the city. There's one that meets almost every day of the week. We have groups that meet in the morning, afternoon, and night. There's a time that will work for you. And what they're trying to do is build teams, communities that support each other, that work together, that help make some of these investments possible. They're trying to be proactive not only in doing that in their lives but providing a space for you. And there's space for you. Look at these. They're totally approachable. Look at these. You guys wave. <laughs> they look super friendly. And you know why they look that way? Because they are. <laughs> and, uh, and let me just say this before I let these guys sit down. This is a great time to get involved. Why is it a great time? One, because the time is now. I just did all the knobrow stuff, and you're with me on that, right? And also, um, after a month off, all the groups are kicking off in February, which is this week. So when things kick off, that's the best time to get a part of things. We have brand new groups starting. Uh, typically, it might start new things. So it's a really open time for you to come and get to know some people and start building team into your life. Also, we're about to start our Lenten series, which is the 40 days leading up to celebrating Easter. And we're going to be giving you practical ways to build team in your life, suggesting some things. And it's helpful if you know people. 
you know, and you, you'll be able to jump in anyway, but this is a great time to get connected with a small group so you have some people to draw from as you go to build this team. And I know a lot of you, you're, you, I know a lot of relatively new people in the church. This is it. Come on, get involved. Second, I know people, you've been here for a while, and some of your, I've said this where your friends have moved away a little bit. It's time to, to get back in there. Fill some of those holes. Rebuild your team. All right, guys, go ahead. You can sit down. Give them a round of applause. I embarrass them all. So one more encouragement to invest in the people around you and build your team through sacrifice, and that's this. You will get more. This is in this passage, but Jesus, I should have counted, seems to say this over and over again. What you see in verse 10, it says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. There's a kingdom principle. We call it kingdom because Jesus is always talking about bringing the kingdom of God. He prays it, let your kingdom come, your will be done. There's a kingdom principle here um, that when we give away, when we invest, that God gives to us. And that the promise is he'll give us all we need and even more so that you can give that away too. And there's this beautiful circle in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is where God's will is done, where what you give is returned to you and even more. And that's part of what makes life work. It's part of what makes life enjoyable. And part of what we try not, like for some reason, what culture, what something in us tells us that we can't do. But freedom, life, joy comes when we get over that and we start giving. And so, build your team. And here's how you build it. You give first. You give first. You take the risk first. Set the tone. Build your team through sacrifice, giving away, generosity, including your money. That's a big one. Not the only one, a big one. And use what you have to build a team that will last forever. Let's pray. Jesus, I will just admit that this just sounds so big, like that the relationships I invest in now last forever. And you're like literally, not just figuratively. So give us uh, faith to take risks, take chances, to be vulnerable, to share, to be generous. Amen.